What's up, witches? Welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Better Witch Podcast, presented by the Modern Witch Network. I'm your host, Allie, aka Bronx Witch. I'm a tarot reader, Reiki master, and owner of Bronx Witch Headquarters, a spiritual shop and workshare space in the Bronx, New York. And I'm going to be coming to you every week with a new topic and a guest co-host to talk about our real-life experiences as practicing witches. Because when we know better, we witch better. Today's guest co-host is Yvonne Abera. Yvonne has been a pagan since 1985 and a Wiccan since 1991. They have an MA in Contemporary Religions and Spiritualities from Bath Spa University in the UK and have written four books on mythology and folklore. Their most recent works are All Acts of Love and Pleasure, Inclusive Wicca, and Dark Mirror, The Inner Work of Witchcraft, which by the way, Bronx Witch Coven Book Club will be reading later this year. Yvonne lives in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, blogs for dowsingdivinity.com, and can be found on Instagram at Yvonne Aberno. about today because um, as we start to come back together and start to form groups and, and interact with, I mean, obviously inclusivity is important in the virtual space as well, but as we're beginning to come together and create groups that meet in person, um, I do think that we've learned a lot as a collective through the quarantine and the pandemic and since 2020, and I think that there's a, a stronger urge among all walks of life, but probably particularly among switches, to make sure that we are creating inclusive spaces, that we are being compassionate, open, kind, welcoming, warm um, to all of those who are embracing the craft and maybe stepping into it for the first time. Um, so uh, I really love seeing coven members, folks who participate on my platforms and things like that, connect with each other. Um, in real life, and Yvonne's going to teach us how to do that. <laughs> All how to do that, how we can come together in a way where everyone wins, everyone is welcome. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you should mention that because I think one of the uh, one of the things I really appreciate about all of the events, uh, the pagan events now in Canada, is that they tend to have a code of conduct. Um, which includes inclusivity and also consent. Um, and that's obviously, I, you know, to me, consent and inclusivity are like two parts of a, of a whole because, um, you know, people rushing up, to the, one of the things, I mean, so inclusivity, it's about, I, you know, I started on the angle of LGBT inclusion and, um, and including people with, um, neurodivergence and um, back in 2014 when I wrote All Acts of Love and Pleasure I was a tiny bit naive and kind of thought well you know there's nothing in the craft that you know there's nothing in Wicca which is what I was writing about that specifically include that excludes 
um, black people or people, you know, people of color in general. And um, uh, and the thing that you know, because the actual practice itself doesn't right. exclude anyone right. um, in that way, which whereas it does exclude LGBT people. Um, but what I hadn't thought of was like, oh, the you know, um, full of white people being uh, idiots. So. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, I didn't think of that. Uh, so, but I did write about cultural appropriation, which is obviously a big piece of it as well. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's sort of why I wrote the follow-up books, um, Dark Mirror and The Night Journey, which then talk more about, okay, how do we, how do we dismantle racism and white supremacy? Yeah. Um, which is obviously, a, you know, a very important aspect of being inclusive and um i mean it, it's interesting because you know we're all going back to our ancestral practices so how do we do that in a way that doesn't exclude people with different ancestral cultures you know um and avoid stealing each other's ancestral practices right right it's like and inclusivity you know is a broad term i think uh something that's important to keep in mind is something that, that you have touched on in your writings and that you have mentioned um, and that I'm, I'm hoping you'll talk more about is is the difference between inclusivity um, and um, being welcoming um, you know because I think that that witches that Wiccans in particular there are uh, not a lot of writings teachings philosophies within the practice within the religion uh, that exclude anybody, and, and you're certainly right. The the polarity of the masculine versus the feminine, the the you know male and female in Wicca definitely excludes uh, LGBT folks pretty much on its face. Um, but outside of that, um, you don't have a lot of like blatant um, exclusion of folks, and I think that that can create the misconception that like well then these are inclusive places, right? Because they they, they don't say anything about being anti-anybody or anything like that. And, and even to the end of, um, of the dichotomy of male and female being very heteronormative mm -hmm. um, in Wiccan spaces, you do see quite a lot of folks of LGBT identity participating in Wiccan spaces and being a part of Wiccan covens and things like that. Um, so I think it would be easy to be like, oh, well, you know, Wicca and um, other such practices are like totally inclusive. But there is a difference between being, you know, just welcoming and sort of just sort of being generally ambiguous about it um, mm. and, and really being inclusive um, and making people um, actually a part of the fold, uh, like of what we do and things like that. Um, so I'm curious for you, like, what do you think are the differences between being welcoming and being inclusive? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I have written about that difference because I think, you know, people talk about, okay, well, we welcome this, the group, we welcome this group, that group, the other group. Um, but if they don't change their practices from being heteronormative, um, is able normative you know like um and and white centric type white um you know just accepting 
white centrism as the state or eurocentrism as the status quo um then they're not really being inclusive so you know if you're marginalized by the practice itself then you're not being included um, and then some people would also say well there's a further stage from inclusion which is affirming um i mean to me it's like um you know i've often written blog i've written three or four blog posts uh, which got included in books saying are you just welcoming or are you actually inclusive and then I've seen other people say, well, inclusive isn't enough. Actually, affirming is what you want. Um, but to me, you're not properly inclusive unless you're also affirming. Yes. Um, you know, if we don't, and and part of being affirming is showing up to your local, um, you know, pro protests in solidarity with Black Lives Matter or, you know, indigenous uh, solidarity or whatever it happens to be. Um, and shout out to Indigenous people, your protests are always on a Tuesday, which means I can't go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm at work. Yeah. <laughs> so, local yeah. Black Lives Matter people put their protests on a Saturday, which means we can go. Ah, um, yes, look at that. Timing is important, right? It is. Um, but, okay, so I love that, that it seems like, I like that word that you said, like dismantling, like it's an active it's an action like inclusivity yeah. is not a path maybe that's the difference that welcoming is passive it's just sort of like yeah if you show up to our ritual if you show up to our, our event then like you will be allowed to enter um versus being like we are going to meet you where you are and join in your fight and join in your activities or focus on things that are important to uh your communities to let you know that we are invested um in your well-being um, yeah and, absolutely and, 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 yeah and so like you know come hang out with us we'll protest on saturday and then on sunday we'll have like a sabbath dinner <laughs> you know right. I, mean? yeah. um, I think that's really important um, yeah and i mean like celebrating you know for instance um there's a group of people who've come up with a, with a ritual which is called the trans uh, rite of elevation mm. um and what that involves is like so it's nine days between um uh between the trans day of remembrance leading up to uh Samhain, and people will spend nine days and and literally they're, they're building an altar for trans ancestors and like bringing them in from in a way bringing them in from the cold because they're you know a lot of them particularly the ones who died in a traumatic way um so it's just it's a work of healing and um that was developed by the trans community and i think it's a really beautiful thing um but it should also be honored by other people you know um, maybe we don't maybe when because it's pretty intense to, thing to do so maybe people want to do a less intense version of it but um you know trans day of remembrance is for everyone um and it's in a way like unfortunately it's constantly re-traumatizing trans people to keep focusing on those deaths so actually trans day of remembrance is for the rest of us to to express solidarity you know um yeah yeah i i 
actually, I feel that way about um, a lot of days, holidays, moments of remembrance, memorials, etc., that are focused around um, black suffering and black violence and black mm. death. That I, I, because uh, you know, oftentimes there's like a compulsion to like get on the internet and like post, you know, and Martin Luther King Day or like all of these different things. And I, those are days that I tend to be really quiet. Mm. Um, because I feel like those are days for other people. Like for me, I don't want to kind of think about how those things that we were fighting for, you know, 60, 70 years ago are still issues today. Yeah. Actually kind of upsetting and like triggering and like rehashing a wound. And so those are often days where I'm like not really saying a lot. Um, and I'm really glad that you say that because I think that that's an important thing that we as witches can do to let other witches know that they are a part of this community um, is to kind of take up the mantle on the days when like they need to rest. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, one of the really good hashtags that I enjoy on Instagram is witches against racism and witches against white supremacy. Um, those are really good. Um, once we got past the whole let's post a black square on Instagram, which was actually pretty unhelpful. Um, I remember that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, remember. Um, I was quite pleased with myself. I did not post a black square. I posted Black Lives Matter instead. Um, okay. And then when people started criticising the black square, I was like, ha. Because um, actually what you should be doing is sharing posts from BIPOC creators, right? Mm -hmm. um, not cluttering up the space with black squares. Um, but yeah, like, um, what was I going to say? Um, I think I really like it that Black History Month this year is about its um, black resistance um, and black and subtext of that being black resilience. So there's, there's an opportunity to talk about black joy, you know, and um, I was writing a blog post about it for work and I found this fantastic picture of Audrey Lord rowing across a lake um, just looking really radiant with joy and I was like oh that's perfect you know yeah. um, and uh, I think um, I mean the other thing that I'm always banging on about is intersectionality because um, my post was about creating black queer spaces where because that's a whole different category of safe space right so um and focusing on again the creation of black and queer joy um and i think you know it's just we should be look instead of constantly re-traumatizing people as like okay how can we uplift the joyful aspects of resistance yeah. and community building and all that good stuff yeah and let's um talk about the how because i you know um people I, I i feel like which is and this might be just like totally over generalizing but i i feel like which is as a collective maybe more than other groups of people um are concerned um and invested in trying to create safe spaces um, and being inclusive and in, in, I think more importantly, just in having this conversation, 
Um, I think conversations about inclusivity, about cultural appropriation, about things of that nature, white supremacy are happening maybe more amongst us than other people. And I don't know if I'm totally biased and it's just because like all of my Instagram is just like witchy people. Um, but I feel like this is a very big, um, uh, these are big topics in our community and we are actually like tackling them and having these conversations. Um, and so I'm really happy to see that happening. Um, and so folks may be wondering like, okay, well, if we are talking about this, if this is important to us, how do we actually do that? What does that actually look like? How does that play out? And I wanted to, um, you know, bring people's attention to and share. And my apologies again, the book club people, you know, I always say this, um, I am not cheating. Okay, we are reading Dark Mirror, the inner work of witchcraft um, in our yeah in our book club uh, later this year. And I promise you guys, I am not reading ahead. I did not, okay, read a bunch of it. I did do a little flipping through and a little bit of uh, research because I was, I was interested in the section on inclusive Wicca in particular, obviously for our conversation today. And so I just wanted to share a little bit um, from the book because I think it's really helpful and, and will help us um, talk about some of the things that we have maybe experienced um, and seen be successful and helpful in like making people feel included and creating inclusivity. Um, in Dark Mirror, in the Inclusive with a chapter, you said uh, being inclusive means becoming aware of others' pain <clears throat> and working to support the oppressed and the marginalized. It means doing some work to make your rituals inclusive and healing for everyone and understanding your own privilege, which you define as the degree to which your reality, your worldview, is considered normal and natural, the degree to which you are safe from oppression, and the extent to which your right to existence is not constantly questioned and undermined. Um, and then you go on to give us a couple of boxes that we can kind of check off um, to answer the question of whether or not the coven we're involved with or the group that we're involved with um, is in fact inclusive. And uh, some of those things that really stood out to me included um, allows invocation of any gender deity onto any gender human, uh, respects members' genders and uses their pronouns, promotes consent culture, uh, does not automatically exclude people with mental health issues, is body positive and does not allow fat shaming or body shaming and does not insist that its members reach a specific educational level or belong to a specific socioeconomic class. And I thought that was, um, there are many more in there. I didn't want to spoil it all for you guys, uh, for my book club folks who are going to get to read it themselves. Uh, but those are a few that really stood out to me that I was like, man, I really feel like if we can check those things off, um, and make sure that we're doing them in a way like that we're actively doing them or people know like this is a place where you can be these things. This is uh, our rituals flow like this. We do not, uh, you know, gender align uh, our deity worship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then we'll really be in like a good place. Um, and I'm wondering maybe out of that list or just out of other lists that you've compiled, what are some of the more helpful uh, points on lists like those that you think that, you know, maybe if I'm starting a coven tomorrow, I should make sure I'm checking off from day one. I think, um, I think I'd start like, 
you know, to I'd want to kind of come up with a sum up, a summary of how to be inclusive, right? Um, and that is, um, I mean, it's basically don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? Step but, one, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, you know, um, I guess it's the thing of create, you know, let's say you're starting out and you've got, it's just you and then one other person comes along and, you know, maybe they look different from you or or have a different life experience from you. So that's, I guess the first step would be just to sit down and share your life experiences and and what you're hoping to get out of this coven and um, and what the concept of coven actually means to you. And um, also, you know, it's things like, okay, these are my boundaries and these are my hard boundaries and these are my negotiable boundaries. And, um, and just sort of, you know, and then also like, you know, if you're joining a specific practice, like Wicca is, you know, initiatory Wicca, Gardnerian, Alexandrian, etc., um, tends to be, a, it's a tradition with a bunch of stuff that's been handed down to us, right? So we have to figure out how we're going to negotiate with that. And um, so a lot of my stuff is about, okay, how do I expand that practice with and make it meaningful for me as a non-binary person um, and other non-binary people and other LGBT people um, so that we're not constrained within this heterocentric box? Um, and also, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of neurodivergent people in my groups and so I'm very mindful of how do we make sure that they're included and not um, not excluded? Um, so I think to start with, it's just about, okay, the first step on the path is how do we avoid, if we're a coven of two or three or whatever, how do we avoid pissing each other off? Mm. And, you know, and then expanding it from there. Because once you've got that, negotiating kind of consensual um collaborative um groundwork done then that creates an inclusive space to start with mm. and then new people come along and then that big the same negotiation happens with them yeah and i really thank you for that because i think that's like super powerful um because you can compile lists of like steps, you know, where you can have these things that like, okay, these are boxes that I want to have checked off. These are things that I want to say that we do or that we say, etc. But it really kind of just starts with the very basic component of having a genuine interest and wanting to get to know people who are not like you. Um, and, and, and rather than putting them into a box, and making lots of assumptions about who they are and what they're about and what they need and what they'll be interested in or what they're capable of, et cetera. Um, really, truly wanting to have a relationship with somebody um, that is yeah. different from you in some way um, and having a relationship that, you know, incorporates this thing that you have in common, which is the craft. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I really 
Thank you. That I think that's like such a beautiful place to start for people because I think it gets rid of maybe some of the like head scratching. Like, ah, what does it mean to be inclusive? Are we doing it right? Are we including right? Like, are we checking all the things? You know, are we um, gonna get the stamp of approval for being like the inclusive group of the year? Um, it's a lot easier than that. You know, you can just start with like, do you genuinely want to practice with people who are not like you in some way? Um, and if so, then step one is just genuinely getting to know them um, and letting them tell you what they need in order to be a part of that that space. And then, and then accommodating and, and figuring out how to make that happen. And then that's yeah. where the, the actual action comes in. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is like, um, you know, um, the population ain't getting any younger. Um, so it's things like, okay, does your ritual involve? Does your ritual that you've got planned involve a lot of standing around? And if you've got people who can't stand around for ages, then provide some chairs. You know? And sometimes it's just really simple stuff like that. But. Um, you know, I was at a ritual recently and somebody said, you know, brothers and sisters. And I went and I was in my head, I was going and siblings <laughs> and binary siblings. And and I mentioned it to them. And then the next thing was that they included and siblings on the end of their thing, which was great. Um, yeah. So it's just that, you know, open mindedness and be, being if somebody challenges you on or you know gently calls you in or whatever phrase you want to use um that you are prepared to just adjust and tweak things because we you know i think a lot of the time i think everyone has this thing me included right that we all want to be seen as the perfectly virtuous inclusive person all the time yeah. and we're human we're going to make mistakes and i think it's sometimes that rather than sort of Know, when somebody says well actually you missed out you you missed out this thing or you didn't include that thing of being prepared to go yeah i'm sorry i screwed up okay let's do better next time right um, let's correct it and and move forward and yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that because you do focus a lot of your work on uh coven life you know initiatory coven life how to uh do work within these types of groups to make sure that they are open uh, and inclusive spaces uh, that we, you know, root out problems uh, that might be sort of festering within these groups and things like that. So your focus is around um, a lot of uh, experiences, which for myself as a solitary practitioner and a lot of the folks that are listening, I'd imagine um, they may not really have had a lot of experience with um, group life. Um, and so I'm very curious about your experiences with covens, with groups, festivals, fairs, etc., um, that maybe were not inclusive. You, you mentioned this one where someone was referring to uh, just brothers and sisters and not thinking about other uh, identities in the room. Um, but I was hoping you'd maybe tell us a little bit about perhaps some of the things you saw that motivated you to write about this. Maybe you saw some things that were like, ah, this is not yeah, okay. sure. Let me write a manual on how we can uh, yeah. do this better well the big starting point for me was you know coming into the craft in the early 90s mm. um and 
being told that we had to stand boy girl boy girl as we call you know that's our jokey word for like you have to stand male female male female around the circle um and the the rationale that was given for this um and some people still do this right yeah, yeah, yeah it's still still out there um the rationale for this is that um in order to make polarity um you have to have a male body and a female body next to each other um and obviously all the non-binary people in the room are scratching their heads and going what no like that doesn't it? and all the all, all the bisexuals in the room are also scratching their heads and going no what um and the pansexuals and you know um and so i was just like well you can i mean you don't need to be actually standing next to the person and we're all we're not even referencing polarity when we're doing it so why are we doing this thing and right. is it so that men don't get to kiss each other or something like mm. what what is this about even yeah, yeah. and just just really got my goat right i was just really annoyed with it and so um I was really keen to shoot that one down in flames and and then there were other things that I started to notice like the way that consecrations tend to be done you know man consecrates all the women or a women a woman consecrates all the men or whatever um and again non-binary people left scratching their heads go more um and so looking for other ways to do that um and after I'd written um, all that, oh, so the reason, actually, the triggering incident, yeah. um, there, were, yeah. there were sort of several triggering incidents, but the yeah. one that well, kind of really... The boy-girl thing is definitely triggering because it's like, uh, yeah. I just walked into the space and I'm already feeling like this isn't for me. Yeah, right. It's, I mean, I, I didn't identify as non-binary back then, but, but I did always have that non-binary thing going on because non-binary wasn't a concept back in the early 90s but but gender queer was and gender fluidity definitely was and i was like mm, no not sure about that um and um but yeah the thing so somebody i knew gave it a, a talk and it was a really good talk um and it was basically breaking down all the things uh that are very heterocentric about wicker so this would have been I can't remember exactly early 2000s I think that this talk was given mm. um, and he was breaking down like these are all the things that are very heterocentric about Wicca and then he finished and it was in the LGBT slot at this pagan event right um, so it was it was a good critique but then at the end he just went well you know what to do and everyone's sort of sitting around going well no we don't actually know what to do <laughs> and so I'm like well I'm gonna think of an alternative for all of the I'm going to identify what all the things are and think up an alternative for them and so that's how the the book was born and then that was all acts of love and pleasure inclusive wicker um and i also did a um uh for my ma i did a study on queer spirituality um and then there was a, there was a couple of other triggering incidents one of which was that a friend of mine who was gay um went to a pagan event and this was a pagan event so there wasn't actually magic-y things going on right. um and there was some circle dancing happening and he'd taken his new boyfriend to this event and people were dancing around and um 
and this woman kind of jumped in so obviously he was holding his boyfriend's hand as they were dancing around and this woman jumped in between them and went oh no we can't have two men holding hands mm. and so my friend was absolutely horrified but being him he basically kind of squeezed her hand really hard so she let go yeah. and then rejoined onto his boyfriend's hand wow. um, well but that i mean that connects with what you were talking about with like consent uh yeah being a part of inclusivity and stuff like that like just approaching someone and putting i mean i'm from the bronx so like you do not you do not do that unless you right. are trying to really start some stuff like physically grab somebody and be like oh no you can't do this like wow the audacity that's just yeah yeah absolutely and and then the other that reminded me of another thing which was that when you mentioned the consent thing um there's a lot of hugging goes on at some of these events and um some people find it you know because they've got various health conditions um and also people autistic people find it overwhelming to be hugged yeah so like asking people i mean at least one of the things that the pandemic has done for us is at least asking people before you hug them is now more the norm yeah that happens more i definitely do that more i didn't in the past and that's something that i've learned and i'm really grateful for it because yeah. now i tend to ask folks uh that i don't especially if i don't know them um you know if they consent to a hug before i just embrace that because yeah i mean i i mean you don't even have to necessarily say anything you can kind of telegraph so i'm, I'm holding my arms out like a windmill going are you into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um now's a good time for a nice cup of tea and a sit down this show is part of the modern witch podcast network for more shows like it visit www.modernwitch.com but anyway, that that to me is how, you know, a real example, both of those examples are real examples of how um, how critical this stuff is in making people actually feel included and welcomed and affirmed, you know. Um, and another example was that I was at a Beltane ritual, and this is in All Acts of Love and Pleasure, I described this. Um, I was at a Beltane ritual and there was an opportunity in the ritual for people to talk about um the joys of love for beltane um so i'd imagine if there were any asexuals present they were probably like "Eh." um but also um all of the people who stepped forward were talking about heterosexual love and i kind of i was stood there and I was thinking, I suppose I should say something, but I just feel really kind of like uncomfortable because yeah. I'm probably the only LGBT person here. And because I was looking around and the and the gay members of the group weren't present. And I thought, well, that's very telling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I actually physically took a step back from the circle, from like, the circle of people that were standing around. Um, and thought, oh, I've switched from participant to observer. In my, the little switch went in my brain, yeah. you know. Um, and that was the point at which I decided not to make that intervention. 
Um, but considering this was a public ritual for for interested members of the public to, could just wander up and take part, I didn't think it sent a very good signal, you know? Yeah. No, and, uh, you know, folks, if you are um, thinking about starting a group, a coven, uh, etc., definitely uh, check out... Um, Yvonne's book on that because it's it's got a lot of guidance um, on how to do that. Uh, but I'm curious for those of us who are maybe like um, approaching covens or attending public rituals and learning more about them, um, what are some of maybe the telling signs or red flags out there that we might want to look for to let us know whether or not a coven really is um, an inclusive space? If I were attending a ritual like that, uh, that you're talking about, and I did come as an observer, maybe I was curious to see if this was a group I wanted to join, and I'm just on the sidelines watching. What might be some things that might tell me, okay, this group is not really focused on um, making all witches welcome here? Mm. Um, I think a lot of it, I mean, luckily, a lot of covens have an outer court training process so you get a chance with it which is like they get a chance to know you and crucially you get a, a chance to know them um so i've often listed a bunch of red flags around consent and you know does the group try to tell you how to live your life does the group um try to impose certain ideas or tell you that you can't read certain books um, i am aware of coven leaders who've told their their lgbt coveners not to read my books um <laughs> wow well, see, you're not popping unless you have haters Yvonne. right so that's that's how you know you did something good <laughs> all right yeah um that was basically my take but thank you for that <laughs> In case you were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, I think it takes time. You, obviously, you can't just tell that from one ritual. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah. actually, can you... Maybe it's something that you probably have to visit a few times before it becomes clear, but... Um, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, clear warning signs would be things like, do they well, do they bang on about um same uh, do they do they bang on about heterosexual love all the time to the exclusion of everything else? Do they have rigid gender roles in their rituals? Um, you know, what's their stance on on Black Lives Matter or Indigenous? Um, you know, like one of the things on my on our Coven website basically says, you know. If if you uh, if you don't care about Black Lives Matter and Indigenous land rights and and rights generally, like we're probably not going to get on. Um, so like, don't bother, don't bother replying because um, you know there are lines in the sand. Um, if you're a homophobic twat, you need not apply. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that. Um, that in terms of spotting a group, you know, I mean, one red flag for me is people who say, oh, I don't do politics. Mm. Um, or if they're like, um, 
I mean, another thing that was interesting, I, I spotted a group one time where um, people had joined the group uh, who didn't look like the type of people who would normally get a tattoo, um, which is obviously a very, very subjective analysis on my part, I yeah. really confess. Um, and six months later, they had a tattoo and they were kind of like, a, they'd become a clone of the other people in the group. And I'm like, hmm, you know, because if there's one thing about witches and pagans is that we're all pretty individual type of people. Right. Um, so if people are sort of turning into clones of other people, that's not a good sign. That's a definitely a red flag for sure. Yeah, like if you don't see the diversity uh, amongst the group members itself that you would imagine to be there, you have to ask yourself, yeah. why is that? Is it because all of these people like genuinely suddenly want it to all be the same or is it because people who are different don't feel included and so they you either you know fall in line if you can or you simply don't show up if you're not a part of you know whatever is going on so that's definitely a red flag to look out for i think so and and it's just the sort of um you know over time it will become apparent if say you're suddenly being asked to do things that are expensive, right? Oh, let's all go to this conference, which turns out to be super expensive. Or, um, you know, hey, everybody buy my book. Because, like, you know, I very, very, I mean, I'm obviously encourage people to buy, who join my company to buy my book, but, like, it's not mandatory. Um, and I think that's important. And also, but just things like, you know, does the, do they say don't read this book or that book? I mean, sometimes people will say don't read that book because it's got spoilers in it for initiation that's fair enough because then you can they're not saying don't ever read it they're just saying don't read it if you don't want spoilers which is right. different um also i think i mean one of the things that's kind of weird is um people taking people using family as an analogy for coven um, which sounds kind of cute and lovely until yeah, you actually... Say, you think that that's weird? Yeah, well, and the reason why is, you know, because I'm not the mother of the people who've joined my coven. Ah. So, because there's this real temptation to go, okay, high priest and high priestess are mummy and daddy, and we're the kids. And it's like, no, you're adults. <laughs> right? Right, right. Um yeah and and not everybody not necessarily had a happy home life um so you don't necessarily want to trigger them with with that and i think that you know if somebody's got an unhealthy relationship with their parents you really don't want them bringing that and projecting it on the high priest and the high priestess of the coven thank you very much yeah. um so i think it and the high priestess is a different archetype than um than mother Right, it's not the same archetype. That's why there's two different tarot cards for that: um, the Empress and the High Priestess. Um, so I think it's, uh, I, you know, it, it, a lot of these things are really subtle, and it's just sometimes it's just what you're comfortable with. You know, other people might think, yeah, super cute, no problem. Um, but I, I do. And, and I'm okay with it. I sometimes refer to people from being other covens as craft cousins. Um, and because cousin is appropriately, like, 
it's yeah. there's an intimacy but it's there's a distance and you know um i was like quoting Khalil gibran about you know when you love someone they you still need that individuality and healthy separation between you you know you, you come together and then you come apart i love that coven cousins i feel like yeah, that, yeah that's gonna catch on coven cousins you heard it here first guys don't steal it i will trademark it when i get a chance coven cousins <laughs> yeah it sounds so great um and and i think that's a really a valid and um insightful point to share that because i have seen groups that kind of um attempt to replicate family structures or talk about people in terms of roles of like traditional family um structures and there might be a lot of stickiness uh around that that doesn't really benefit the group and doesn't necessarily you know make everybody feel feel welcome um, so yeah i think that's a great way to 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 think about it if you're looking for a group um creating one um looking for groups that maybe don't necessarily uh fall into that sort of traditional family structure or try to reinforce this idea of like you know we're the parents and you're the kids and uh type of thing where everybody is kind of a cousin they sort of are related to the whole uh, but they also kind of are separate enough that they've got their own things and their maybe their own groups and their own things yeah. going on but that they know that they are part of the the one and they contribute in some way to the to the group yeah i mean i like to think of it as being a bit like joining a scottish clan you know mm. um in that um or you know an, an ancient british tribe or mm. other other ethnicity tribe you know it's mm. there's a sort of there is a tribal and the the wonderful thing about tribes as a social grouping is that um not everybody was the same in the tribe it was really important to have a healer and a blacksmith and a um and a shaman and some hunters and some weavers and whatever else right so the the nice thing about tribes is that they embrace diversity to start with because if they didn't embrace diversity they would die <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, wow, everybody in this clan is a blacksmith, really, and no one here can hunt. Unbelievable. <laughs> how, did we, how did we get here? No, that's such a such a good point. Like diversity, because that comes to the question of, you know, we've talked a little bit today about what inclusivity is. We talked a little bit about how to uh, foster it, how to identify it, um, but we haven't yet really talked about why. Like, why does it matter to be inclusive to other people when mm. we want our uh, our spiritual or magical groups to be places um, where folks of different walks of life feel safe and feel included? Um, and I think you really touched on it um, beautifully there, that the reason for it is for the success, ultimately, and the growth and the strength of the covenant. The covenant is stronger. Um, as a result of having diverse voices and backgrounds and experiences and skill sets and all of that wonderful stuff um, because a, a well-operating group or coven um, will function like a village or like a tribe and have all of these different elements of things that, that need to get done um, and having different people to do them um, is going to put you in a great position, I think, 
for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, you know, whatever your covenant's like ultimate goal mm. uh, is diversity is going to help you get there. I think smoother, maybe faster. Yeah. And also I think, you know, in terms of, you know, people often have as their goal doing better magic. Right. Mm, and yes. if your magic is based on a false assumption, which is this, you know, some idea that male and female is the only polarity, for example, um, or that all gods, all deities are male and female, or whatever your base assumption is, um, then your magic isn't going to work as effectively because that's a, that's just not true. Um, you know, if your magic is based on, I mean, there's there's like one thing uh, that used to be um, promoted by some writers in the 80s, which was an idea that you had to be able-bodied to do this stuff. Um, and like, ew, that's horrific, right? Um, uh, you know, people have told me that they've been in covens with blind people and that, that, that blind people are excellent at magic because they can really focus. Um, I've had a lot of dyslexic people in my covens um, and dyslexic people are really great at spatial awareness. You know, they, um, I was sitting in a room with a couple of dyslexic people and they started talking about, oh, well, you know, when the, when it's winter and the sun rises, the sun will be over there coming in at this angle. And um, when it's summer, it'll be over there coming in at this angle. And I'm just looking at them going, wow, right. you have superpowers. Because <laughs> I had no idea, like they could visualize the whole thing and how the sun was, was in relation to the room and all of that. Um, and I was just, bowled over because I can't I am not a spatial person like if the predominant thing um if the predominant way of interacting with the world was spatial I would be neurodivergent you know <laughs> and going back to the point about don't be a dick you know like there were um there were people assuming that black people at predominantly white pagan events um saying oh well, you know you must be interested in the orishas or Voudin or whatever right. you know like, well no not necessarily yes. um uh you know like you can be interested in whatever you want yeah um, i get that all the time you know people oh, must be brilliant. i'm like oh nope just you know a wiccan for 20 plus years and like also the other thing is like you know you i if you google pagan goddesses on the internet um, they will be the majority of the results on Google Images will be thin and white. Yes, yes. And it's maddening. Yeah. And um, young. And young, yeah. yeah. Well, unless you put crone in the thing. Um, um, and it's important because, uh, you know, I went to a predominantly white private school and um, I was one of, I think, four black girls graduating in like a graduating class of like 65 um, girls. It was also an all girls school. And I was definitely without a doubt welcome in that school and in that space. I was a scholarship student, you know, uh, my, my 
ability to go there financially was being taken care of. Uh, certain accommodations were made for me and my other classmates. We had like special metro cards because we um, live in the outer boroughs. We don't live in Manhattan. And so uh, some of us have like two transfers on the subway, which costs more. And so we have special metro cards for that. And so there were accommodations like made um, to take into account that we were there. And that definitely made me feel welcome. But I did not feel included. Mm -hmm. the four years that I was there and I left that school with a really great education but no genuine friendships with anybody and I was thinking a little bit when I was um, you know just preparing for today and think about my own experiences and the difference between being welcoming and being inclusive and I was like man you know that school they did all the things, you know, they checked all the boxes, like they made sure that they, they took into account that not only were we students of color, but we were also coming from a different socioeconomic background and therefore would need assistance with school trips and mm. things like that. And there were all of these things that they did to make me feel welcome. And I was like, well, what could that school have done? Maybe there's nothing that they could have done to make me feel more included, but you helped me to see that yes there was something and that one thing was making the genuine effort to get to know me mm. that that was something that my classmates my teachers the administration of the school no one ever did wow. um, I, you know the door was open for me to come in i wasn't told that i wasn't allowed but there was no one actually um interested in being like well you know what 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 do you bring to this community? What is your life like? What are some of the yeah. skills, talents, outlooks, perspectives, et cetera, that you could share with this community to enrich us? That never happened. And, wow. and, and that's, you know, I realize now looking back why I left that school with, with a good education, but no friendships because no, wow. you know, no one said we, we care about who you are. And yeah. uh, I mean, one of the things we do at, at my work is um and i think this is pretty common to be honest but um each new new starter gets assigned a buddy mm -hmm. to help them um and so and there's like get to know you you know and especially yeah. if you're working from home it's kind of get to know you over zoom but you know but it's there um and i think that you know there's just this sort of paternalistic assumption that education in from what you've described education is all a one-way street and there's nothing they could have learned from you and obviously there's lots they could have learned from you right. um i recall some time ago when i was um i when after one of the things studies i did in my ma was about um the connections between the brahmo samaj in india and the unitarians in the uk okay. um and the brahmo there's a small community of brahmo samaj people in london and they'd always been told that everything that they did was influenced by Unitarianism. What they didn't realise, because nobody said, um, was that actually they had a massive impact on Unitarianism um, through trans because like the their founder wrote some stuff and it influenced Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, which then actually fed into the pagan movement as well. Um, but but like that massively changed Unitarianism. So, um, you know, there's just this thing of like, hey, everybody, cultural, cultural encounter is a two-way street. Right. 
Um, well, so we're running out of time. I want to uh, definitely make sure that I give you a chance to let people know where they can go uh, to continue this conversation with you to hear more about the things that you have to share. Um, I already told people at the beginning about uh, like some of your contact information, but you guys should definitely check out Yvonne on YouTube if I can just plug you a little bit uh, because you have like a, a, a series, I think, of reclaiming words. Uh, that I really, really love, because I talk about this quite a bit when it comes to words like prayer and God and things that words, um, words that like maybe certain uh, organized religions or groups have kind of taken and, and you know, held hostage as their own um, and words that are special to me that I have to like explain to people that like, no, when I say prayer, I'm not talking about Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we pagans pray too and um, things like that. I think that that series is super, super cool. Uh, you know, I hope you keep doing it and I'm just encouraging people to check it out because I think they're really informative and fun. Um, they're short little videos, but they're basically just uh, kind of quick deep dives into words um, that we often maybe associate with things that are like non-pagan um, and reclaiming them for us because oftentimes these words apply to things that we do too. Uh, so I think that's a really cool series. So I want everyone to check that out. But what else are you working on or doing uh, that you might want us to take a peek at? Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad you like that series because I thought it was fun and it didn't get that many views. So I'm really glad that you you really connected with it. Yay, thank you. Um, so new book coming out uh, hopefully in April is called Changing Paths and it's about the process of changing from one religion to another. Um, uh, and so part one is leaving a, another religion and then part two is joining paganism and part three is people's own examples of people's specific journeys that they've shared. Um, I've also got a substack um, which um, needs more love and I'm thinking about putting some podcast stuff on there. Um, check out my blog Dowsing for Divinity. Um, so uh, Dark Mirror which you, I gather you're reading in your book club which is lovely. Um, don't forget the sequel to Dark Mirror which is The Night Journey um, and that's more about group that's actually more about groups but it's also about anti-oppression practice and dismantling white supremacy um not sure if i got to anywhere near the answer to that but um i tried yeah. um we'll explore. yeah um and also talking about cultural appropriation and stuff like that um yeah so i'm um, actually been taking a bit of a hiatus from youtube so i could i should get back on it um and not sure what my next book's going to be about um still thinking you know one day i'm going to write a novel um so, but i haven't got anywhere near it yet uh so um yeah kind of thinking the next book might be about ritual but i'm not decided yet yeah well that all sounds awesome i definitely uh have played around with the idea of the book club uh reading some novels uh so you know if you do we'll, we'll definitely be excited to read it so you'll have at least a few readers lovely uh, thank you of that. so definitely uh folks make sure to stay in touch with yvonne uh just 
stay tuned for some of these upcoming works um, and projects. Uh, I highly recommend checking out the Dowsing for Divinity blog. I have found it personally very helpful. Uh, there is a BIPOC pagan reading list actually that Yvonne shared in that blog some years ago. Um, and I have uh, continued to refer that list to people you know, for years. Uh, so it's a very handy blog post. Uh, there's a lot of good information in there. So, you know, just uh, check Yvonne out, you guys. Lots of great information uh, for pagans of all walks of life. Um, I want to thank you, Yvonne, so much for being with us today. Thank you for all the insight and sure. uh, the personal experiences that you shared because when we know better, we wish better. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, witches, for tuning in to another episode of the Better Witch Podcast. New episodes air on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bronx Witch Coven YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platforms. No matter where you're tuning in from, we want to know what you think about today's episode. So make sure to leave us a review wherever you are. A special thank you to Bronx Witch Coven members whose membership makes this episode possible. If you'd like to tune in to the live recording sessions, watch the behind the scenes footage and participate in the Q&A for future episodes, consider joining the Bronx Witch Coven. You can support this podcast by grabbing some sweet merch over on the Bronx Witch Merch Shop, sponsoring an episode with an ad spot, or following us on Instagram at Better Witch Podcast. Remember, witches, when we know better, we witch better. See you in the next episode, and blessed be.